to the Tennis Links Podcast, home of the Golf Barons. Offering bloviated opinions on all things golf, discussing the game's biggest problems and some solutions to them as loosely as possible. Come add some swagger to your swing. Hello Barons and welcome back for another Tenuous Links Golf Podcast. This is of course the home of Golf Barons, Season 2 currently playing on Fox Sports 503 and on KO. Today on the podcast it'll be me and the world's tallest short hitter as usual, Phil Bear. And in rare ranting form I think you'll find just as a preemptive strike for everyone listening, I think if you like rants, this may be a whole rant cast. <laughs> Yes, well, today, Phil, as you've already prefaced, we're we're taking a bit of a stroll to Negative Town to tackle one of the game's biggest issues and one that, well, when it rears its ugly head, it really frustrates the hell out of all of us. And you're talking to two people here who cannot stand it. We are, of course, speaking of that dreaded C word, cheating. Which, by definition just to kick this off, is to act dishonestly or unfairly in order to gain an advantage. So are we talking a little bit, in some instances as well, Phil, just sort of rules manipulation? We're going to draw a somewhat tenuous link here, Shooter. We're talking about whatever pisses us off, because I think you have every right, and where this topic came about, and I'll leave this story with you, to give it some background. But there's just a point where once bitten, Twice bitten, three times bitten. If you're once bitten, twice shy, what happens if you've been bitten 15 times? You're stupid. Uh, Quite possibly. Now, we've tackled this issue a little bit in Golf Baron Season 2, as we've already mentioned. We perhaps even made a little bit of sort of light of it, haven't we, Phil? But seriously, it is no joking matter. So before we delve again too deeply into this, can you just just give me that definition again of what we're talking about? Uh, Cheating to act dishonestly or unfairly in order to gain an advantage. Okay, okay. So just to be clear, we're not talking about the the inadvertent cheats, shall we call them. You know, the ones who, who've accidentally left a, a 15th club in their bag from a previous round or, or or just ignorance of one of the golf, one of golf's many, many abstract or sort of rare rules that not many of us know about. Okay. So we're not talking about them. In this case, mens rea matters. The, the intention element matters. So, Philly, you want to kick things off? Well, not really, other than the fact that there's a – so there is a – golf has a significant history of it happening at a professional level or at an amateur level, but more importantly, it's the level that we deal with and we understand and we exist with every year. And I, I will – I'll serve with this one. There was a, a charity day – and we may have mentioned this previously, but there was a charity day many years ago that, that you actually put together and ran – and I distinctly remember it was it. I won't, yeah, anyway. So let's, for example, say if we were to have been playing the old course at the National. And let's, <laughs> let's say. Let's say that we were. Let's say that it was a windy day. It was a nice day. It wasn't raining, but it was not, conditions were not benign. And then as we battled on, let's just say that someone happened to win the day with 48, 9, 50, 51, 52, or even 53 Stableford points in an individual Stableford round. 17 up. When presented with the bandit mask, along with the winner's trophy, there was quite the uproar, (laughs) almost furor. And I understand that sometimes people have a day out. But surely, and I'm not suggesting in any way that this person cheated. I am 100% suggesting that he cheated. He was off 
He was off 24 or something, Phil. Uh, and had 76 off the stick or whatever. <laughs> but that, so, so we're not, so I'm not suggesting that he cheated. I'm suggesting though, but for someone to have that result when someone is marking their card, there is a desperation sometimes shooter for success and victory because mm. we have been starved of it for so long that I'm prepared to do whatever it takes with my playing partners to deliver an outcome that will give me a victory. Yeah, and the term cheating itself obviously is, we've got to be a little bit careful with how we throw it around, um, especially when we're talking about the professional ranks. Uh, But there's been many questionable incidents over the years that that have left the C word floating about on tour. And one of the one of the more famous ones I think you refer to quite a bit is one involving Mark O'Meara, yeah. the, the American, at the uh, Lancôme Trophy in 97, I think it was. Where, yes, where there was a – look, there are some methods that people who manipulate outcomes, whether they're cheating or otherwise, and on this occasion I'm not suggesting that – that was a cheating incident in any way, shape, or form. But there are some there are some ways of it getting done. And one of them is to mark the ball nearer. I mean mark it to move the marker into places and therefore the ball nearer or mirror the hole. Oh nearer, did you say? As that? the case may be. Hence the nickname which then stuck. But at the time there was no issue in hindsight, and I remember this clearly, is that I think it was John Paramore was asked were you to have been able to review the vision on television, would you have taken some action? And the answer was, yes, there would have been a penalty. But I'm not sure if that quite falls under the corporate day definition of cheating mm. or... Just on the, the Marco Mira uh, incident, Phil, just for those who, who don't quite remember, this was uh, where he remarked his ball... And it was he remarked his ball closer to the hole. I think it was about an inch. I think from camera angles that we could tell, and basically it, it got him the win. And it cost what was it like over a hundred thousand pounds at the time, and and the victory as well. And at the time, uh, Omira said, "I've got the quote here." His recollect his recollection was that when I marked the ball, my intention was to replace it in the same place. My integrity has never been in question in my career. If I felt in my heart that I had broken the rules, I would call it on myself. But I didn't feel that. It's just not my style of play. And I'm very concerned and disappointed that this has happened. So for me, Phil, this this is where it gets tricky for pros because it's a it's a horrible label to be stuck with. And and the question here, it comes back to that whole intention element that we touched on a little earlier. Did he have the mens rea in this case? And in a game of relative self-governance, that sort of remains a big issue because if you're willing to cheat, and I'm not suggesting Amira cheated here, but hypothetically, people who are willing to cheat are more than willing to lie about whether they intended to cheat. So in a way, because of uh, golf's self-governance, we find ourselves with sort of two laws of engagements of sorts, you know, different rules, you know, different rules, different results, depending on the morals and ethics of those that are playing. What are some of the more common acts that you've witnessed on course that would sit under the definition or our definition of cheating. Well, I'll tell you one with the um, along the marking it nearer, as opposed to quite clearly any reference to Marco Mira, but to marking it nearer as if it was Irish. Like if it was Irish, it would be O'Neara. There was a gentleman trying to pre-queue for the 1985 Open Championship, 
and he was playing a pre-cue, and his name was David Robertson. And David Robertson was the master of the Marco mark, <laughs> marking it nearer in that he was known to walk onto a green ahead of his playing partners and to pick up his ball with the marker on the putter head and then wander around the green until he was happy with his position and then flick the marker off the putter head and say, well, that was where I marked my ball. So his whole modus operandi was to get there early, get the ball off the green, pick the putter up, pick the marker up with the putter head and move around. And he was known to sometimes move the ball 20 feet closer during this round. And it was on the 14th hole, he was actually, one of his playing partners said, hey, to the rules official, are we any chance of either getting this guy beaten to death or calling a, a penalty? And he ended up being suspended and banned from competing in any professional tournaments, fined, you know, the whole lot. But anyway, that was David Robertson, or Robbo, as we like to call him. But <laughs> so, so some that we've seen, so clear cheats, and we did try and touch on these a little bit in our wacky segment, but, but the pick and flick, which our friend from City, a guy from City would know, and is experienced. So, so you've witnessed this, Phil, the pick uh, and flick? It would be fair to say that the pick and flick occurred in a environment that was able to be witnessed, whereby someone managed to bend down, grab the ball, do the whole throw out, and actually hold the bunker shot. So congratulations. You're going to name names? No. So pick and flick, well, it wasn't Marco Nera. Um, preferred lies. I mean, I think the most common one that you're ever going to get in a round is of golf the is the lie. preferred lies. Funnily enough, you know what a what an interesting term for it. You know, it, it's just oh, it's only moving it an inch. But mm. the number of times that we see bad lies, in fact, it's not frequent. No, in fact, it's not frequent. But it's often when there's a really good prize on the line that a bad lie miraculously becomes a reasonable one, and sometimes a, a good one. And every now and again, you'll see someone uh, looking around to determine what eyeballs are on them because we don't have cameras in our field. You know, self gimmies. Now, is a self gimme? Here's one. Is a self gimme? Is that defined as a code of conduct breach mm. or a cheat? And I'll give you an example. Let's say you had a three foot putt that you hit, it missed, and you said, oh, "I don't. It doesn't really matter. I gave that to myself anyway." <laughs> uh, is that is that code of conduct breach? Is that sandpaper or is that the c word? Yeah, that's certainly it's certainly up there, Phil, with the c word. I mean, for me, it's even when you concede a putt, if if the opponent or your the playing partner decides to still putt it, well, now it's in play. As soon as they decide to veto your your gimme, bad luck. Unless they're unless you're playing match play and they've they're going and having another putt just for practice like you're allowed to in match play. But no, no, as soon as they – I mean, you've seen that as well. You've seen people – you've conceded a putt and then they've gone to tap it in, they've missed it, and they've gone, oh, like, yeah, you know, you gave it to me. Potentially, too frequently, because there was that that incident also with uh, Kevin Nahr and uh, DJ only recently in the match play, mm. um, whereby DJ thought he'd been given the putt, picked it up, Kevin Nahr said to him, you know, I didn't give you that, but I'm not going to call it on you. It's no problem, but just – be wary that you don't just go around picking up markers or doing self-gimmies at a professional level. <laughs> the handbrake. Someone yeah, the actually hand whacking the handbrake on in preparation for a major event is one of the more disturbing. But again, is it a cheating or is it a sandpaper? 
But is this a is this a thing that you've seen a hell of a lot of? I know I know a lot of a lot of people who play in their um, monthly medals seem to suggest this happens more often than not. I I tend I haven't actually seen it myself because I, I don't tend to get involved in any of that stuff. But it's an interesting one. It's a that comes down. That's a definite form of banditry for mine. If you're trying to blow out your handicap, and again we'll get onto this a bit later with um, corporate golf days and why the handbrake is in a it's in a very, very dirty bin for me, Phil. I I tell you how often the handbrake occurs is we were having a conversation with a very fine golf professional at a very good golf club uh, in Melbourne. And um, when we mentioned that we were looking to explore this idea around banditry and some would suggest cheating, straight off the top of his head, he said, well, you've got to make sure you talk about the people who three weeks out from major Mm. tournament all of a sudden can't chip or putt. Or, you know, I've had 32 putts uh, or 32 points, sorry, for 14 holes, three weeks out from a club championship. And lo and behold, I lose all feel. And now I start five or six putting it. I guess that kind of makes me ask the question are some acts more cheating than others? And I ask that in the context of all sins are equally sinful in the eyes of God for Christians, Phil. And with the dogmatic and almost ritualistic manner with which many of these bandits operate, I'm I'm declaring cheating has now become a bit of a new religion, Phil. <laughs> a habit for any of the nuns listening. Uh, it, it is a habit. So, so I think so, that's the best. So I guess my question is, is there cheating and then cheating? Okay, so therefore, is this when you're driving on the roads? Is there speeding and speeding? Like, is one kilometre over the speed limit the same crime as thirty kilometres over the speed limit? And clearly, the answer is no. Well, well, no, and it's not even in the eyes of the law. It's just that golf yeah. is self-governing, and we're going to have plenty of examples later on where where golf shines. So this is not just a doom and gloom one, but the reality is, yeah, I it's think it's pretty you, doom and gloomy. It is a bit doom and gloomy, but there, there's a good reason for it and there is venom. But there is a habit in it in that if I get away with it once, I'll get mm. away with it twice. And the minute I've got away with it three times, it's just what you do. So so the rough becomes your friend and trees become your friend and lost balls become impossible. You know, it's amazing that mm-hmm. anyone – I mean, some people should never have to buy a golf ball in their life because they've never lost one apparently. <laughs> um, despite being wayward, uh, it, so it, it is a. It's an interesting one. If are there levels, but golf does not give you levels, uh, and, and golf gives you you did or you didn't. There is no grey in in the game. Did you you know going back? Did you ground your club in a in a bunker before you were you know when you were allowed? Or, or not I, mean, allowed? I mean, there is to a degree, Phil, in that you can be penalised more shots for some indiscretions than others. That's no, but you don't get. Only... You, but you can't get penalised four shots or one shot, depending. Like if you give yourself a preferred lie, or mm. hit a moving depending ball, depending on how not, good the lie is. Look, the ball was really it. moving. That's a four shot penalty. Although, in <laughs> fact, maybe that's. You know, if we think about it, and we think about rule manipulation, the idea of a an unplayable ball. If I'm looking down and I'm thinking, I've got a hundred in, and I'm sitting deep in a divot because no one bothered to sand it because they were in such a hurry and that's why they also didn't repair the pitch marks on any of the greens at Commonwealth. My option is to potentially take an unplayable and to just move it onto a perfect lie, given the fact that my success is going to be likely. Is that cheating or rule manipulation? And in order to call an unplayable, should you have to prove that it is in fact unplayable, Phil? Unplayable is in the eye of the beholder, (laughs) shooter. So most balls sitting on a tee for me are unplayable. But – you know, the reality is, is you can use these rules 
to your advantage. You can use the fact that that the new rules are brought in on the PJ Tour, saying let's speed up the game a little bit. I want you to make as many decisions as you need to as you go, whether you think the ball was embedded or not when mm. you were playing at Torrey Pines. It, so, so, But we've seen some, we've even seen the greatest of all time, you know, arguably the greatest of all time, get involved in this sort of stuff. We've seen Tiger with the ball oscillating several years back. I'm not talking about was it an oscillation or was it just a tiny, you know, when he was moving a leaf and did he see it, did he not? Then we've seen him admit that he, when he took a drop at the Masters, he, he dropped it in a spot that would suit his next shot. So that's a manipulation of the rules as well. Is that cheating or is it just is it just finding that line or pushing the line, pushing the envelope? Well, we're going to have to call out a cheating at some stage. Uh, just mm-hmm. as, as I've mentioned on 38,000 other occasions, the Larry Myers drop at the Masters. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it wasn't knee high back then, but depending on who you are and where what the circumstances are, there is an allowance and a provision made for it. You know, I've, I've even heard, if we talk about cheating, I've even heard, and this is only by rumour, I'm not suggesting this has ever occurred, that people have been known to make bad eagles by clearly sailing their third shot over a green on a par five and then mm. going, oh, I'll just check the hole just in case and discovering that it's in the hole. Oh, I you're mean, kidding me. I, I've, <laughs> that, sorry, by that re- cannot I'm not be suggesting true. in any way, shape or form. That oh, you've, just is- given the, you've just given a whole swathe of bandits a new, uh, a new card, a new trick up this league. All I'm saying is that the reporter – the reporters, or as it was reported in the news, it said that a ball clearly sailed over the green and three playing partners were searching on on a particular green, and I'm not going to say what hole it was, so the second at Moon or at the National, and despite three of them all clearly seeing this, it, it, who would have thought that it would have bounced back and gone in? The old terrible eagle. I, I miss oh. terrible eagles. Oh, the, the eagle mishits. They're, they're unbelievable. Uh, and then the best one of all, I think, just as we as we move along, because I do want to talk about your corporate golf day experience, Shooter, but the classic put me down for a five, uh, hang on a minute, it took you four shots to get on the green and you had two putts, and I know I'm not keeping your card, but I'm keeping an eye on your score. Yeah, I think it was um, – Is there any room for people accidentally not getting all their uh- – Shots, Phil. And the reason I ask this is uh, I fell victim to this recently or I was a – I was I was a – call me a bandit, I suppose. Yeah. In, uh, in one of our um, challenges early on in the year, we uh, uh, may have got it wrong. You may have got it wrong a, a couple of times. And, and there's – certainly wasn't deliberate. Well, well, one is then disputing potentially the number of shots you've had and then the other mm. one is finishing the hole with a <laughs> – a ball other than the one that you teed off with because what? even though they were the same colour. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think anyone else played with yellow balls, Phil. Depending on how damaged they are. <laughs> but shoot but, I was going to say, but Phil, the biggest purveyor of questionable rules adherence must be corporate golf days. There is no, There is no other day in golf where we see more manipulation of rules and it's front of mind for me this week after playing in a corporate golf day last week. Um, had a wonderful time, don't get me wrong, um, with a mutual friend of ours and his family. And it was an absolute joy of a day spent with some cracking human beings. We really had a wonderful time. But we were robbed. Robbed, Phil. Playing off a combined handicap of five. So the four of us and a combined handicap of five. We shot nine under off the stick. Um, so we were at, what, 14 under in total. 
We just missed a chip in for uh, 15 under on the final hole, mind you. You'd think that was a pretty solid score, not necessarily a winning score, but a pretty solid score. But wait, add to that that we were hit during the round with an absolutely ridiculous torrential downpour. And I'm talking Queensland-esque monsoon-like rain. And it's when you think of it like that, it's better than a solid score. We're talking we had to change gloves. Um, we were sitting in the carts. One would run out, hit the shot, get back in. Next person would run out, getting getting saturated. It was it was crazy weather. So we thought we're in a pretty good pretty good spot here. Anyway, we get in there, we get to the presentation. We've had a couple of couple of drinks. We're nice and relaxed. And then there is the announcements. And there we are. That's us. Oh, that's our team in fifth place, <laughs> Phil. Fifth. It's bullshit. What What do you think, think led to uh, actually? So the winning score was. To be honest, I don't know. I walked out, so I didn't cause a scene. Uh, <laughs> it was It was ridiculous. We've got. So we were, and I'm telling you, these were not great golfers. Like I'm not going to lie. I've lo- I looked around. These were not. These were not great golfers playing. It was just it's bandits galore, Phil, and your favourite kind, the rich ones. These guys had a lot of coin. It's a ve- it was a very wealthy uh, corporate golf day, shall we say? What were you doing? There? But but the fact I got an invite. The fact that we uh, the fact that we question results though of, of any of these events, regardless, that we're so sceptical of winners, it just highlights how prevalent this dubious scoring is in golf, and especially in amateur and, and corporate golf. So. So what I mean, given the fact that everyone turns up and before they hit off, they're talking about what the winning score will be and how ridiculous it mm. will be that someone has that score, how how someone is going to cheat. How's it? What's the what is the solution for a corporate golf day then to be able to take the emphasis off? So forgetting it, unless it's a Mercedes Benz golf day where it is actually a, a an individual and a serious championship that requires co-signing of cards as much as a club comp. Ward, checking of handicaps, and all having GA or, or Golf Australia or, or official handicaps. What is the solution from a corporate golf day point of view? Well, for one, knowing that people are going to be pushing the rules and just quite blatantly cheating at these events, why do they have a winning, a winning prize? Like it may as well just be a bloody lottery. But is that the is that the Solution then, because I think there's a lot of corporate days where they do have significant prizes, and the more mm. significant the prize, the more the desperation will be of people to manipulate outcomes, and particularly when it requires collaboration of everyone in mm. the group to yeah. manipulate the outcome. Or, or a combination of that and ignorance with those who perhaps don't play a lot of golf and understand the formats that well. That's right. So so at the start of every corporate golf day, if you don't have a, a formal handicap, you can play off. And so this one was a maximum of 18, Phil, so, if you didn't have it. So, so this is showing it's even more so dubious. It got to a max 18 and someone still shot yep. 37 under. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, but I think that there's got to be room for random draw winners or random hole winners mm-hmm. or, a, or a magical six whereby at the end of it, you know, the organisers just – Look, these are the six holes we've nominated and then the, the team that had the best score over those six. Or, or do they just need to have an official card scorer going around with them? Someone from what, similar to what they do at the Robert Allenby Challenge um, Charity Golf Day. Yep, Challenge are a very sharp organisation and a very worthy worthy charity of, uh, of getting as much spare coin as you've got, challenge.org.au. Mm. But maybe that is the, the solution and also that, that – 
one of the great things about challenge is that the scorers are actually from involved organisations who mm-hmm. who put their hand up and they say, look, we'd like you to order volunteer to do something during the year. And they actually provide that day as as one of their options. So we've had, you know, people from various walks of life who have come along and done that as score it, but they've kept an eye on it. But also mm. they still rely on the honesty of the yeah. people playing from a handicap point of view and from a, a official handicap point and, of view. And we've seen that even in, you know, and if we go back to some of the other examples of of treating a rule manipulation, we talk about everyone is prone. The 91 Ryder Cup that caused all the uproar with Seve and Paul Eisinger when Eisinger and Chipbeck incorrectly and knowingly but weren't called on it changed compressions of golf balls whereby you're allowed to alternate but you had to play that compression of golf ball the whole way through the hole. Yeah, well, I was going to say that the, the equipment cheating is it's one of those things you don't often, you don't see a lot of it, do you? But surely that's, that one's guaranteed to meet our intention element. You can't accidentally change your ball. No, I, I don't think there was anything accidental about it and people, in, in essence, therefore have to live by it. Can I ask, given that you're a cricketer, mm-hmm. was if you're – it was. There was a famous Australian cricketer who had a reputation for walking. Oh, here we go. Yeah. So if one day he edges one and doesn't walk, is it cheating? Hmm. No, it's a good. It's a good question. I, and what about the vice? What about vice versa, Phil? What if? What if your whole career you didn't walk, and then suddenly you become a walker? Just sitting there, is that an admission that you've been cheating the whole time prior? That's an admission. So, you're, so right. you're obviously, so you're obviously talking about Adam Gilchrist, and it was a famous incident in the World Cup in two thousand and three, the semi final, where he was given not out, and it was it was a difficult decision to give, to be honest. Um, uh, he stood there for ages, uh, was given not out, and then he decides to walk and is praised evermore. But I ask the question, if he's going to walk, why wait for the umpire in the first place? All he did was make an absolute fool, an absolute clown of the umpire. Um, I think it was, was it Rudy Kurtzson it might have been? Oh, I could be wrong, I'll check that. But look, we can't be selective with our conscience, I guess is the point I'm making. Uh, and we have umpires, like the cricket's a different one. They have umpires, let the umpires decide whether you're in or out, because you can't stay there and stand your ground if your umpire's given you out and you know you haven't hit it. And at the same time, if you're saying if that's if you hit it and don't walk, is that cheating? Is it cheating to appeal for a decision knowing that it's not out? So therefore was Patrick Reed cheating when asking for a ruling at Tory Pines when he felt his ball was embedded? I'd argue he wasn't, to be, t- to be fair to him. <laughs> it would be very argue- difficult yeah. to argue. As easy as it to take the name Patrick Reed out of it, and it's a pretty a- clear answer, isn't it? Uh, it is just a – no, no, I, I asked for the rule. I've got rules officials. I asked for a ruling. They mm-hmm. gave me the ruling and away, we, and away yeah. we went. And I think this is where it all gets very, very complex. Yeah. Um, so I've got just, – just so you know that it's not just golf that people cheat at. I've got a few examples of some outstanding cheats in other sports that I just <laughs> oh, need to go through. <laughs> I like this. Should we, ref- should we re- uh, reframe this as uh, manipulators, Phil? No, flat out cheats. Have you checked this with uh, I have legal? not. Check this. So someone said the word cheats. It wasn't me. I just happened to be talking about these people with no context from here on in. <laughs> Boris Onischenko. Bless you. Or as he was known following the Montreal Olympics, Boris oh. Dishonischenko. <laughs> <laughs> in the pentathlon, so in the, um, in the sabre, in the, in the fencing, in the pentathlon, he decided that he – he was not in the best form of his career, so they mm. built into the grip of his uh, epée a little button that allowed him to score whenever he wanted. 
<laughs> so all he needed to do was press the button and he got a point. And he, and he was going along quite nicely until the English kicked up a bit of a stink. And from then on, he was known as Boris Dishonestchenko. So it Jeez. wasn't just. And then There's from, some great nicknames born out of cheating, yeah, though, weren't they? Fantastic. And then they um, they changed the rules so that you actually the grip had to be open enough that no one could ever put a, a trigger or a switch under the grip. Which I love the ingenuity. It wasn't just drugs they were good at back in the day. <laughs> the Chicago White Sox mm-hmm. uh, in 1919, there were eight of them that were done for for taking money off mobsters to throw the World Series. And one of the great quotes that has come out of the US that has stuck around, and that's over 100 years now, say I don't so, Joe, mm. was the apparent comment that a kid made to Joe Jackson or Shoeless Joe Jackson who was walking out of court. Funnily enough, when it went to trial, um, all the evidence somehow disappeared. And so they were acquitted on the basis of no evidence, despite admitting that they'd taken some coin. So that's pretty good. This could be one of my favourites. Maradona. Yes. 1986 World Cup against England when he caught the ball and then threw it into the back of the net. <laughs> um, the hand of God. The, the hand of God, uh, which was which it was known around the world as. But but that idea of of taking a screamer using AFL parlance mm. over the goalkeeper uh, I might be uh, drawing a bit of a long bow. Even if even if it was volleyball, it would have been called a scoop, wouldn't it? It was a scoop. You can't hold it and then throw it. It, it can't stay on your hand for that long. But anyway, that was <laughs> Maradona, and then one of. One of my uh, – another favourite, 1984, Olympics, St. Louis. I sound like one of those documentaries. Marathon, only 32 competitors. Uh, only, I think, 15 were to make it to the finish line, one of whom was Fred Laws. And congratulations to Fred for winning the marathon. It turned out there was one slight issue for fantastic, fabulous Freddie Laws, fast Freddie, as they called him at the time. He did 11 miles of the marathon in a car. <laughs> Freddie, make your own laws. That uh, gives new meaning to running down your opposition at the at the <laughs> at the end. But so so my point is is that, that there's this self governing nature that golf has, whereby we don't have to from an amateur level we don't call rules officials because there's just a trust when you're playing in a corporate day or you're playing in a club comp that everyone will do the right thing or you're playing in a mm. in a, an event. I don't know even on the Murray. There's that idea that everyone will do the right thing and everyone will play in the right spirit. But to my point earlier, Phil, does that not then just separate, create a, a wider chasm between those that will do the right thing and those that will not? And given uh, give the, the advantage taken by these bandits is exacerbated by the fact that the others are playing by the rules, different rules of engagement. I think it absolutely is. And I've, uh, again, got a couple of little examples of the uber barons, we'll say, and some not deliberately, but still in terms of owning errors. And the first one, Brian Davis, mm-hmm. to paint the I picture, 2010 this. Verizon Heritage at Hilton Head playoff with Jim Furyk. He was in a bunker, a greenside bunker, and there were reeds at the back of the bunker, and he felt his backswing brush a reed mm. when hitting out of the hazard. It, Didn't he? Wasn't he on the beach? If I remember that correctly, it was in the Wasn't sand. He, it was in the sand. In the sand, left of. Yes. He was basically yes. he was out of bounds, but it was right on the edge. Bounds. It was right on the edge, and so there was some there was some long reeds growing up behind on the yeah. beach side of the bunker, and he felt his club brush a reed in the track and called a penalty on himself. Yeah. No one well, else he thought he, he didn't even feel it. He said that he saw something out of his eye at the time. I remember watching it live at the time. He said he saw something. He saw the reed moving, 
And so he assumed that he must have touched it and he wanted to get it looked at. With his crazy pants, he said, I want to win a PGA Tour event more than just about anything, but I play by the rules and no victory. And this is uh, this is for all you bloody corporate day dickheads. I want to win a PGA Tour event more than just about anything, but I play by the rules and no victory would be worthwhile if it had a cloud hanging over it, unless mm. you were playing in a corporate day last week. I saw the grass move. I called Slugger, Slugger White, the referee, Slugger over, White, yep. and that's it. End of story. Yep. For me, it's an unfair rule because it costs the guy, it will po- quite possibly cost him a PGA title and it's such a silly rule, but exceptionally classy move from Davis. And you know, he still hasn't won on the PGA Tour, Phil, um, 11 years later, but he has won the respect of all those who watched it. Can't say I understand that rule, though. I mean, it's certainly there was no advantage to Davis there on his backswing. It's kind of like the the anti Reed shovel dig backwards <laughs> backswing because <laughs> when he he used the backswing because now now you can you can ground your club in the um in a hazard, right, Phil? Well, you can do whatever you want. I think at the no, but I think isn't that wasn't that the rule change that you can now at least or at least well, you can't ground it. You can in the motion of a swing, yeah. Yeah, so it's the motion of the swing. So I'm, I'm oh, mate, still I confused. I haven't read the rules. Confused. Yeah, I'm confused by that one. How he got stitched up with the two-shot penalty. But you're right. That's a that is an uber baron. He's straight to the top. But he Ryan felt Davis. the rules. And then you've got Justin Rose at the Memorial in 2014, chipping out of the rough, and he felt he felt mm-hmm. the club hit the ball twice. So he called a penalty on himself, and he ended up missing the cut by one. But TV was inconclusive. So there, there all these close-ups and the super slow mos and everything else were inconclusive. But I felt. I felt the club hit the ball twice. Penalty. Mm. So we we overlay those two, and there's a there's a bigger one, but we overlay those two with all the other crap and this desperation to win. And ultimately maybe it is a desperation to win something. So maybe we just need to have broadcast TV cameras o- over um every shot at every go- corporate golf day and and um if there's proof of it, we've got them. Well, I think there's got to be uh, – there must be something that can be taken from it. But ideally, you just – many years ago, there was an idea that we had called blackball.com. And no, it's not registered and someone can take it and run with it if you're smart enough. I don't know, Phil. I, I don't think – I wouldn't rush off and uh, check that out, to be perfectly Francis. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's it's singular, not plural. But the idea was that if you if you rock up – to, I mean, the number of people who go to job interviews, you know, and, and just to to check off or tick off various criteria and don't turn up. So the idea was there becomes a registry for people who don't turn up at job interviews. And then when you get resumes through, the first thing you do is you run their name through blackball.com. And if, if the name doesn't come up, away you go. Well, the same thing should happen at corporate golf days, whereby... Mm. Not not saying that someone cheated, but little if there are question marks, little asterisks. Then the little asterisk tracker. I mean, it's very French, but the little asterisk tracker comes up and just says, "Watch out for Larry," or, or whatever the person's name with. Oh, you can't always use John Smith. Watch out for Larry, because Larry's got quite the reputation. And then you're just you're wary of what's about to happen because I feel your pain. I, like. I feel your pain like I felt the pain of last year playing in an Ambrose event that we managed to win where we were 17 under off the stick and the people we were sitting at the table we thought they were in with a chance and we beat them by three. And everyone looked at you like you were a bandit. You know, all I contributed on that day was my mandatory three fairways hit. (laughs) (laughs) Par threes, Phil? No, no, no. No, it couldn't be par threes and one of which was our 18th hole where the suggestion on the tee was 
can you just get it somewhere near the fairway? Like that would, <laughs> it'd be really good if you could just get it in the proximity of the fairway. I've been lucky enough to play with you in several Ambrose style events and it inevitably comes down to, to one of us over the last three <laughs> needing two, two drives to get away. And, and you just go into your shell. You're a very quiet man over those last couple of holes. Packing bricks. I, I do uh, tend to uh, go out of my way to ensure my drives are taken as early as possible. It's just rarely that I've hit a fairway early. And so I'm saying, take my drive. I know it's a penalty in the water, but just back me in here because I can tell you that one year we were playing the 11th hole at Yarra Yarra. I needed my drive left to right wind, houses on the right, dog leg right. Everything was saying, get right, get right, other than Leighton Hewitt, who magically came out of my body and managed to hit a topspin forehand down the left side of the fairway into the rough. And it was the, one of the great reliefs of my life was knowing that I hadn't let the team down, even though we ended up losing by 17, because your mates from the corporate day were obviously playing. But that's all by the by. I want to, I want to just finish this element of, of uber barrenness mm-hmm. with a name that I'm sure many, all listeners are aware of, and maybe some are not, Robert DiVincenzo. Divincenzo. Now this is not a this is not a, a cheating or in any way a rules manipulation, but it is about an acceptance of the way the game must be played, not not should be played. The way the game must be mm-hmm. played. Nineteen sixty eight Masters. Robert would have been in a playoff with Bob Golby. Instead, his playing partner wrote down that he had a four on seventeen. I think it was mm. instead of a three. It was yeah. So, Divincenzo. Um, for more reports, was was fine with it and everything else and went in and just signed the scorecard. Uh, in fact, I think it was Hank Aaron, just signed the scorecard. But he signed for a 66 instead of for a 65, which meant that score had to stand. It's like the reverse cheating. It's a reverse. He's, th- this is what makes it even more uber-baron-esque. So, are you, Phil, are you attributing to uber-baron behaviour that which should be attributed to incompetence? <laughs> <laughs> I in even even Divincenzo even he said. Are after you the correcting round, my pronunciation? A little bit. Even he said after the round, oh, "What a stupid I am!" In his interview, so one of the most Did famous he say it lines. Like that? He, he well, he was an Argentine. <laughs> so hang on, that's a separate issue. Did he say it like that? <laughs> <laughs> I believe so. So so anyway, where that flowed from though? So he he missed the playoff by signing an incorrect scorecard. He had to accept. The score, and as a result, Bob Golby, mm-hmm. um, instead of being in a playoff, one. And after the traditional club dinner with the winner, Robert, Roberto, Roberto. Um, it, it was on the porch when the president or captain of, of Augusta came up to him and, and they sat down. And before Ike Granger, Ike, what a cracking name, uh, could offer his condolences, how's this for Uber Baron? And I'm not going to say it the way you would say it. I'm sorry I caused you so much trouble. Was his foot because there was an uproar. So a quarter of a century later, like Granger remembers it as the greatest gesture of sportsmanship he's ever witnessed mm. in a hundred years of golf. And I think that is that's how the game is played. And the way it should be played. And the way it should be played. One hundred percent of the time, every time. No more bad eagles. And on that note, Philly, I think we should bring this Tenuous Links Golf Podcast to a close. No more cheating, people. Put it away. Now, be sure to sign up to Golf Barons at golfbarons.com and to stay in the loop of all that's happening in the Golf Barons stable. And remember to Series Link Golf Barons Season 2, now playing on Fox Sports 503 and on KO On Demand. 
Thanks again for listening, Barons. And remember to always add some swagger to your swing. And can all your shots.